Good morning, everyone. Back in the saddle. Oh, dear Lord, guess you're one of a kind. Do you cross? We leave our past behind. Lord, no one compares with you. We bow in awe that you are God and man, and through you the world began. Yet you came to save us all from our sins. Oh, dear Lord, yes, you're one of a Give us peace of mind, my sweet Lord. You're holy and you are true. And through your death, God's love has been revealed. Through your wounds, we have been healed. For you came not to be served, but to serve. Holy Lord, yes, you're one of a kind. We join in you, and now our lives are defined. My sweet Lord, we bow down and worship you. You're the mighty God and the Prince of Peace, and your reign shall never cease. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall praise you, Lord. Yes, you're one of a kind, you're our Savior, and all of mankind, my sweet Lord. We lift up this song for you. Oh, dear Lord, yes, you're one of a kind, and through you cross. I pass behind my sweet Lord No one compares with you Oh dear Lord Yes you're one of a kind And through your cross You give us peace of mind My sweet Lord You're holy and you are true Oh dear Lord Yes you're one Worship you Oh dear Lord Yes you're one of a kind You're the Savior And all of mankind My sweet Lord We lift up this song For you Yes we lift up this song For you Yes we lift up this song For you Good morning again. Could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1? Let me hang the guitar up. I'll be right back. All right, I'm back, and uh, again, good to have you with us, and we're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians. We had a, a month off from teaching. Of course, I was working during that whole time, although I did take a few, uh, some, I like to take hours, not days, because I'm always, I love what I do, so I'm always working, writing, doing stuff, or, so I was, didn't write any new songs. I was wanting to finish off a couple, but I, uh, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm just gonna have to, I had a, didn't do it, so <laughs> I got because I, I was actually the first part of the whole break. I was actually sick, so I was trying to recover from that. So the antibiotics got rid of it. So, anyways, uh, I'm back. I'm 
relatively healthy, thank God. And I'm ready to get back into Ephesians. We'll be looking today, as you can see, Ephesians 2.14, where it teaches us that Jesus Christ destroyed the hostility, hostility that existed between the Jews and Gentiles, which was caused by the Mosaic Law. So we'll be talking about the law and what Jesus did in relation to that and how this unified and made uh, Jewish and Gentile church-age believers uh, one entity, and which we call the church. So that uh, is what we'll be looking at here today. This will constitute our 100th, 11th hour in Ephesians. And uh, for those who might be new to the ministry, uh, we have uh, our class schedules Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, we're located at 603 O'Shaughnessy Avenue, Northeast, Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. In case you're thinking of sending us a, 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 a gift, uh, we, uh, we're a nonprofit, so it's tax deductible. And if you'd like to give through, through the, uh, the website, we have PayPal. So if you go to our homepage at wenstrom.org, uh, you'll see the donate tab and you can click there. And, uh, and also, uh, we have our, of course, that wenstrom.org site where we have over 1,700 written articles on the various uh, exegesis and exposition of the different books of the Bible we've studied over the last 30 years, and also um, different doctrines of the Christian faith and other things like uh, different people in the Bible and prep school material as well. And uh, we don't charge for our teaching. We're totally uh, dependent upon the grace of God and working through His people, where the Spirit's moving through His people. And uh, we also uh, we have also a website at Academia Edu, uh, which is... Uh, over half, uh, over 700 written articles I have are on that particular website. Uh, would, uh, that's uh, I've had been on this since 2017, and uh, we're in the top one percent. Uh, and, and also we have almost 900,000 views of our material, and uh, so it's going very well. And uh, and uh, got a lot of good feedback over the last several years. And also uh, we have uh, Faith Life Sermons. It's actually it's called Logos Sermons now which you can access through wenstrom.org page. You'll see on the wenstrom.org page, it says, listen, the, the Bible classes in Huntsville, Alabama at Doctrinal Bible Church. So I'm the pastor also, not only here at Winston Bible Ministries, but Doctrinal Bible Church in Huntsville, Alabama, which is half a mile down the road from me. So if you're ever in the area, our class schedule there is at, uh, it's on, we're at 1215 Russell Street Northeast in Huntsville, Alabama. And we teach on Wednesday evenings. Uh, so tomorrow we have a class at 6.30 p.m., and uh, on Wednesdays, I try to do the different doctrines of the Christian faith. And right now, we're doing a study of the Day of the Lord, which I did when I was back at Prairie View and completed in Marion, Iowa. And, uh, and then on Sundays, we're doing the book of Habakkuk. I try to do the different books of the Bible, alternate between New Testament and Old Testament, like I do here at Western Bible Ministries. And right now, we're in the third and final chapter of Habakkuk, a book we studied here at Western Bible Ministries back in 2021 when I was in Massachusetts. And that's been a great study. And... Uh, and so it's actually interesting teaching it again because it's uh, I feel it's and uh, I, I I do a better job the second time around. Plus it's different with a live audience in front of you. And uh, also uh, what uh, we also have podcasts at iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music. Uh, just search for us under Winston Bible Ministries. We almost have it's almost up to three thousand podcasts that we've had. So I've kind of uploaded pretty much everything we've ever recorded. Uh, and then uh, we also. Um, we have a, a Facebook page. It's uh, it's just search under Winston Bible Ministries. I have my own personal one, but also Winston Bible Ministries. And uh, you can down you can download the class notes for each of these classes through Winston dot uh, um, Bible Ministries Facebook page, and because I post them there. And uh, I think that's about it for for um, the uh, the announcements. And uh, oh yeah, also we also observe the Lord's Supper on Saturday. Uh, the first Saturday of each month. And so uh, right now, um, as, as it stands, I'm teaching six times a week, three times for Winston Bible Ministries and three times for Doctrine of Bible Church because I have two sessions on Sundays that I'm doing. And uh, so, uh, but uh, as I say, people who've been listening to me a long time, I prepare well in advance all my material that I teach. So for instance, uh, right now I'm working, I just finished off Ephesians 3.10, uh, 3.9, and so I won't teach that until probably in May. So uh, I'm like four, almost four, almost five months ahead. And I've learned to do that a long time ago because I've seen other guys uh, try to do it the night before cramming and that's not the way to do it. And you're hurting yourself in your congregation. You're putting too much pressure on yourself. So um, so I, uh, and also with Winston Biomedicines, I, I will be taking every couple of months, I'm going to take a couple of weeks each, uh, every couple of months off just to get myself a, a breather 
and uh, because it is a lot of classes and it's it's uh, so but I'm I don't feel like uh, um, you know if I feel like I'm getting uh, you know worn out I'll, I'll I'll just take a couple of weeks but I'm gonna plan on doing that anyways and just so I wanted to keep up with my studies and also uh, just to get a get a breather I like to write some new songs like you said before I want to record some new songs I got professionally so um, but anyways I'm waiting for that money to come, come in for that but uh, yeah, so there's a lot going on and get my stuff. I already have two songs professionally recorded by a great young producer here in Huntsville. And uh, so keep that in prayer. I'm about to ready to do another song with him. So, because uh, I write my own Christian music, if uh, you haven't uh, figured that out already from the first song. So that was actually, that song was off my last collection of songs I wrote. It finished off in Iowa in 2018. So I'm actually currently working on a new collection of songs, of 14 songs. I always do 14 songs each collection. And three have done them so far. I've, I've finished already so I'm work I have another one ready to go to finish off the I didn't need to do the, the melody and the lyrics for it and uh, the arrangement so that's about it for the announcements let's take a moment of silent prayer this is our custom we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves to determine if we're in fellowship with God because any mental verbal or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father Son and the Holy Spirit but according to 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sins to the Father he God the Father is faithful and just to forgive us our sins in other words, he purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. We maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which he's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit and Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, another day to study your word. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation, your work on our behalf in eternity past, the personal work of your Son of the Cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. We thank you, Father, for this study in Ephesians. We pray it will be a blessing to your people uh, through the, uh, that are listening now, live, or watching, or at a later date through the recordings. And I just uh, thank you, Father, for the technology, people taking advantage of it, and I pray it would function properly. There would be no problems with the recordings the video and the audio and the upload of these things to our various websites, podcasts, the immediate platforms that you've given to us. I pray there are no problems with the streaming video by YouTube. Thank you for what they provide. And uh, I also uh, just uh, pray, Father, today that you would help me to communicate uh, your full counsel today with regards to this passage in Ephesians 2.14, which teaches us that your son destroyed the hostility that existed between uh, us, Jew, uh, the Jews and us Gentiles, which was caused by the Mosaic Law. So I pray, Father, that you help me to do, deliver the message with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect and power, sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. And I also pray for you people that they would follow the Spirit's guidance and direction and be humble, sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction, and by the power of the Spirit, able to learn, understand, and apply carefully what they're being taught so that they can continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. And so, Father, we pray for this uh, service in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. All right, you should be at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to read from the Net Bible today, the whole chapter of chapter 2. And then I'm going to read from my translation uh, the entire chapter. And then we're going to uh, look at verse 14 in detail. And uh, so the reason why that is is because I want to study verse 14 in its context, the immediate preceding and the immediate following context in which we find this verse. So that's what we're going to do. And then uh, today, as I said before, we'll be um, finishing off Ephesians 2.14 by noting the fact that Jesus Christ destroyed the hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles, which was caused by the Mosaic Law. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Again, I'm reading from the Net Bible at this point. It says in Ephesians 2.1, it says, And although you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly lived according to this world's present path, according to the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the ruler of the spirit that is now energizing the sons of disobedience, among whom all of us also formerly lived out our lives and the cravings of our flesh, indulging the, the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of his great love with which he loved us. Even though we were dead in transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you were saved. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus to demonstrate in the coming ages the surpassing wealth of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Uh, it is not from works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision, by the so-called circumcision that is performed on the body by human hands, that you at that time, without the Messiah, alienated from the citizenship of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one and who destroyed the middle wall of petition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by which hostil the hostility has been killed. And he came, and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, so that through him we might ha both have access in one spirit to the Father." So then, you are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole body, the whole building, excuse me, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so, uh, just a... Just a uh, also, before we go further, look at my translation of chapter 2, uh, just quickly by way of review, in case you're new to this study, uh, Ephesians, Paul wrote this in his during his first Roman imprisonment between the years of 60 and 62 AD under house arrest, uh, winning his appeal trial before Nero, and uh, we know that from Acts chapter 28, and uh, we see that he was released from that pr uh, imprisonment in 62 AD. And uh, we see this was written not to uh, simply the Ephesian Christian community, but all the different Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia. We know that because this is a circular letter. Uh, one indication is is that there's no personal greetings here. But however, there's, uh, there's other epistles that Paul's familiar with people that there's no personal greetings. So we can't just hang our hat on that. But we, with the, the, the big telling, uh, the big, uh, pro, uh, big uh, indication that this is a circular letter is not only that there's no personal greetings, but more importantly, in the textual uh, history, uh, in, the, uh, we, in the manuscript uh, attestation, we see that in Ephesus, in Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, is not found in the oldest and best manuscripts that we have. It's in the, the, the textual tradition, but it's not in the oldest and best manuscripts that we have. And, uh, and this uh, coincides with what we see in Eph Colossians chapter 4. At the end of the book, Paul talks about the, the letter to the Laodiceans, he wants that uh, to be read by them and the Colossians to give their letter that he wrote to them, Colossians, and give it to the Laodiceans. Now, uh, there was a, a man named Martian who was a heretic and he saw this same contents of this letter and it was addressed to the Laodiceans. And so, uh, we, uh, so I believe that this is a circular letter, strong indication to that. Remember, Paul was there He's, his, his center of, of his ministry in, in Asia was Ephesus, and he stayed there, according to Acts 18 to, to 20, uh, for three years. Yet we don't have any um, personal greetings, which should be uh, the secondary piece of evidence, not the first. The first being the textual uh, tradition doesn't have Ephesus. Uh, the best and oldest manuscripts don't have this word Ephesus in chapter 1, verse 1. And then we also see that uh, this is Gentile Christians he's writing to. We know that from Ephesians 2, 11, we just saw and so he's, uh, he's uh, we see that this uh, epistle uh, began and uh, after greetings and a salutation and a greeting and, a, and uh, an identification of the recipient and the, uh, the author. And by the way, the author was Paul. Uh, contrary to a lot of modern uh, scholars today, they think that Paul didn't really write this, that a member, that a person who revered him was trying to increase his fame wrote this, that's baloney, the church never ever, it's amazing to me that these, these scholars actually believe that. And this is the same, the church has never, ever, ever 
accepted pseudonymous writings. Never. In fact, Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians. And he, he, he says even he's, he, he's authenticating Mark at the end of that 2 Thessalonians because it, there were people out there that were, he was afraid that had been saying that the day of the Lord had started and they were posing it as, them, as him. And so the church never accepted pseudonymous writings. Irenaeus documents this on his work on baptism that they threw a pastor out of the ministry because he was, he was uh, portraying himself, writing some to a church, saying he was Paul when he was not. So uh, it's really a bunch of nonsense. And as, as time goes on, and history will and eventually will be proven out, that the church has never accepted pseudonymous writing, contrary to some of these monument scholars. In fact, uh, it's only till recent times, in the last two centuries, that people have accepted uh, the, uh, the fact that uh, they didn't accept the authenticity of Ephesians or first and second and third, uh, first and second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles. That's another story. We study that and address that issue when we study those books, all three of them. And so we see after the uh, identification of the author and the recipients in verses one and two in a greeting, we have the prologue in verses three through 14, which is a triadic patent, has meaning both uh, all three members of the Trinity are mentioned there. And uh, in, in verses three through five, uh, three through five speaks of the, three through six, excuse me, speaks of the work of the Father in eternity past and election and predestination. Verses seven through twelve is the work of the Son and redemption at the cross. And verses thirteen and fourteen is the work of the Holy Spirit, our justification with His sealing ministry. Then prompting that uh, the, the, the contents there indicate that quite clearly that the recipients of this letter, these Gentile Christians throughout the Roman province of Asia that they were in union with Jesus Christ. They were declared justified through faith in Jesus and were identified with him in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. They were now under his headship and members of his body, the future bride of Christ, as we see in Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 15 through uh, the end of that chapter, we have the first of two intercessory prayers that Paul communicated uh, to the, the recipients of this letter that he offered up to the Father on a regular basis. And they, the first, these two uh, um, intercessory prayers actually serve as hinges for the book. And we see that uh, the contents is prompted by the fact that the people that he's writing to uh, are Gentile Christians who are not only in union with Christ and declared justified through faith in Christ and in union with him, but also are practicing the command to love one another, as we saw in Ephesians 1.15. And then we get into this great chapter, chapter 2, where Paul accentuates the grace of God which flows from the exercise of his attribute of love and that despite the fact that we were spiritually dead in our sins and transgressions and enslaved to sin and Satan in his cosmic system, as he says in the first three verses of chapter 2, he raised us up and he's, he saved us by grace and he raised, made us alive with Christ and raised us up with him and, and seated us with him in the heavenly places because of our faith in Christ, the justification and our union identification with him. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And he was saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we're saved not on the basis of works, but for to produce good works, which we can do when we obey the Holy Spirit, speaks to us through the scriptures, which he's inspired. And so then we have verses 11 uh, through 22, which speaks of the fact that both Jewish and Gentile Christians in the church age are uh, part of the new humanity. And uh, remember, this is important because and the, Adam and Eve were designed to rule over the works of God's hands. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 make that clear. However, as Hebrews 2 talks about, uh, we don't see all things in, under subjection to, to, to human beings because of the fall. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says that Satan is the god of this world temporarily. And also the whole world is under his deception, 1 John 5, 19. And all, he deceives the entire world, Revelation chapter 12. And so... Uh, we see that uh, in all the kingdoms of the world, he offered up to Christ in his temptation, and Jesus emphatically rejected them with the word of God. But he, that wouldn't have been a legitimate temptation if he didn't have that kind of power over the world, and he does. And that's why the world's a mess. And the other reason is his world system and also the fact that we're all sinners by nature and practice. But God has been calling out uh, for, uh, from the, the, the different nations and different Gentile groups, ethnicities, language groups throughout the world, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. And during the church age, he's calling out a bride for his son, Jesus Christ, who helped to compose the new humanity that will rule over the works of God's hands uh, during Christ's millennial reign. 
So Jesus Christ, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the right hand of the Father was the first step in restoring human beings as rulers of this earth. And now, since the day of Pentecost in June of 33 AD, and closing with the rapture, the resurrection of the church, which is imminent, that could happen at any time, God is calling out a group of people, both Jew and Gentile, to be the bride of Christ, that along with Jesus Christ, his son, will rule over the works of his hands during his millennial reign and on into eternity with the new heavens and the new earth. And so this particular passage in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 uh, makes clear uh, the implications, one of the great implications that we need to hear in our country and around the world is that there should be no racial, ethnic problems in the body of Christ, though there have been over the years as we know. Because why? Because we're all equal in Christ. Uh, if you're an African-American and you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile like me, a white male in America, and we're brothers in, and so, or sisters in Christ if you're female. So that's the great thing. So the racial problems that we have in our country and also uh, that it's been in the world for, forever. There's always been racial problems and there'll continue to be too, uh, be up to the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, they're all resolved through the baptism of the Spirit when whether you're black or white, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, whether you're a Chinese or you're Japanese or Taiwanese or you're European, you're from uh, Belgium or whatever country you're from, Russia, China, wherever you're from, uh, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you and I are brothers and sisters. And that's and then through the baptism of the Spirit, we're on the same footing with each other. And this was tremendous news for Gentile Christians for the first time in history. First time in history, Gentile believers in the Lord we're now on equal footing with Jewish believers. And so, of course, the church is a unique group of people that uh, has uh, two races in it that are regenerated through faith in Christ. And we see that uh, the Jewish people, the Jewish believers, the remnant of Israel today, which we call Messianic Jews, the small remnant that has believed in Jesus, uh, the church, Gentile believers are united to this uh, small remnant of Jewish believers in the church uh, when we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and we're declared justified by the Father and simultaneously through the baptism of the Spirit, we're united with Christ and identified with Him and His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the right hand of the Father. So now uh, we have, uh, we have union, unity between these two groups which, who used to never have anything to do with each other. Remember in Acts chapter 10, uh, we even saw it with Jesus when, with the, uh, when he was uh, in his, his ministry in the Gospels. But Peter in Acts chapter 10 had to be told in a vision three times it was all right to go to eat unclean food and thus go, and the implication is he could go to a Gentile's home because that's why they didn't enter and have fellowship with Gentiles, the Jewish people, because of the dietary regulations, among other things. So we're going to talk about that. So that is all done away with. All that hostility caused by the law has been done away with through faith in Jesus Christ, that justification and union identification with him through the baptism of the Spirit at our justification. What a great chapter. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 1 of my translation now. And the sun just came out. We've been getting bombed with rain the last two nights and strong winds and everything, but nothing like Iowa, the wind there. Whew, that was bad. <laughs> so look at chapter 2 in my translation of, of Ephesians. And my, it says on the board now, correspondingly, even though each and every one of you is a corporate unit with spiritually dead ones because of your transgressions, in other words, because of your sins, each and every one of you formerly lived by means of these in agreement with the standard of the unregenerate people of this age, which is the production of the cosmic world system, in agreement with the standard of the sovereign ruler, namely the sovereign governmental authority ruling over the evil spirits residing in the earth's atmosphere, specifically the spirit who is presently working in the lives of those members of the human race who are characterized by disobedience, among whom each and every one of us also formally, for our own selfish benefit, excuse me, conducted our lives by means of those lusts which are produced by our flesh, specifically by indulging those inclinations which are produced by our flesh. In other words, those impulses which are the product of our flesh. Consequently, each and every one of us caused ourselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of our natural condition from physical birth, just as the rest correspondingly cause themselves to be children who are objects of wrath because of their natural condition from physical birth. But because God is rich with regards to mercy, because of the exercise of his great love with which he loved each and every one of us, even though each of us as a corporate unit were spiritually dead ones because of our transgressions, he caused each and every one of us in the Christian community to be made alive together with the one and only Christ. 
Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace. Specifically, he caused each one of us as a corporate unit to be raised with him. Correspondingly, he caused each of us as a corporate unit to be seated in the heavenlies because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse 7, he says he did this, so the Father did this so that he could display for his own glory during the ages which are certain to come, the incomparable wealth which is the product of his grace because of kindness for the benefit of each one of us, because of our faith in and union and identification with Christ who is Jesus. Each and every one of you as a corporate unit are saved because of grace by means of faith. In other words, this salvation never originated from any one of you as a source. It originated as the gift from God. It does not originate from meritorious actions as a source so that a person cannot for their own benefit enter into the state of boasting. For each of us are his creative workmanship. For each and every one of us has been created by means of our faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus in order to produce actions which are divine good. These God prepared in advance so that each of us would conduct our lives by means of them. Then he says in verse 11, Therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit must continue to make it your habit of remembering that formerly each of you who belong to the Gentile race with respect to the human body, specifically those who receive the designation uncircumcision by those who receive the designation circumcision with respect to the human body performed by human hands. Each one of you used to be characterized as without a relationship with Christ. Each of you used to be alienated from the nation of Israel's citizenship. Specifically, each of you used to be strangers to the most important promise, which is the product of the covenants. Each of you used to not possess a confident expectation a blessing. Consequently, each one of you used to be without a relationship with God and the sphere of the cosmic world system. However, because of your faith in and union and identification with Christ Jesus, each and every one of you is a corporate unit who formerly were far away, have now been brought near by the means of the blood belonging to this same Christ. For he himself personifies our peace, namely by causing both groups to be one. Specifically, by destroying the wall, which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the two and the two with God. In other words, by nullifying by means of his human nature, the law composed of the commandments, consisting of a written code of laws, in order that he might cause the two to be created into one new humanity by means of faith in himself at justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Thus, he caused peace to be established between the two races and the two races with God. In other words, in order that he would reconcile both groups into one body to God through the cross. Consequently, he put to death the hostility between the two races and the two races with God by means of faith in himself at justification and union and identification with himself through the baptism of the Spirit at justification. Correspondingly, verse 17, he as a result came proclaiming peace for the benefit of each and every one of you, namely those who are far off, likewise to peace to those who were near. Consequently, through the personal intermediate agency of himself, each and every one of us is a corporate unit in the Christian community, namely both groups, are experiencing access by means of the omnipotence of the one spirit to the presence of the Father. Indeed, therefore, each and every one of you as a corporate unit in the Gentile Christian community are no longer foreigners to the covenants of promise, that is, foreign citizens, but rather each one of you as a corporate unit are fellow citizens, citizens with the saints, that is, members of God's household. Why? Well, he says in verse 20, because each and every one of you as a corporate unit have been built upon the foundation, which is the communication of the gospel to each one of you by the apostles as well as the prophets. Simultaneously, he himself, namely Christ Jesus, is the cornerstone. On the basis of its being continually fitted, inextricably together by means of justification by faith and union identification with him, the whole building is growing into a holy temple by appropriating by faith union and identification with the Lord. In other words, by appropriating by faith your union and identification with him, all of you, without exception, are being built together into God's dwelling place by means of the omnipotence of the Spirit. So, as we saw before our summer, uh, summer break, our Christmas break, Ephesians 2.14 contains three assertions. The first that we pointed out is in the Greek text, uh, the Nestle Alain text I'm reading from of the uh, 28th edition, 
uh, autos esten he arene hemon, which I translate, he himself personifies our peace. The Net Bible, of course, they translate it, for he is our peace. Then we have the second assertion, which is ha poiesas ta amphotera hain, which means, by my, translated by myself, namely by causing both groups to be one. The Net Bible says, uh, the one who made both groups into one. And then we have the third and final assertion, which is kai ta mesetoihan to fragu lusastain ekthran, which I translate specifically by destroying the wall, which served as a barrier. That is that which caused hostility, and that hostility is between the two races. The Net Bible translates that particular third assertion, who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility. So, the first of these assertions, as we pointed out, is a declarative statement. He is our peace, or he personifies our peace. That presents the reason for the assertion in verse 13, as we pointed out when we studied this. It states that Jesus Christ himself personifies the peace, which now exists between Paul and his fellow Jewish Christians and the recipients of this letter, who we pointed out were Gentile Christians. The second assertion we also noted explains how or the means by which Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between Jewish and Gentile Christians and states that he did this by causing both groups to be one. He personifies the peace that now exists between the two groups by causing them to be one single entity, as we'll see today. And then the third and final assertion also explains not only the first assertion, but the second. And thus it explains not only how or by what means Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between Jewish and Gentile Christians, but also how or by what means he caused both groups to be one single entity. And it asserts that Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between Jewish and Gentile Christians and caused both groups to be one by destroying the wall, which served as the barrier, that is, that which caused hostility between the two races. So, he's talking in the context of the Mosaic Law. That caused the hostility. And we can't emphasize this enough because it has great implications for us uh, here in the church age with racial issues. We see that the Jews, again, and the Gentiles had nothing to do with each other. Uh, they would, because of the Mosaic Law, the dietary regulations, which were designed by God to prevent the Jews, the nation of Israel, his covenant people, from getting involved in the idolatrous pagan worship uh, of their their uh, neighbors, the Canaanites. And uh, so the the foods that they would eat as part of their worship of their false gods and their idols, uh, God would uh, prohibit the Jews from partaking of those animals, those foods. And that's why that was the purpose for the dietary regulations, not simply because of, of health issues, though it was good, healthy for them to abstain from these foods, but the real reason is clearly uh, identity markers and also to just, uh, to prevent, uh, serve as a barrier to the Jews from getting involved in the pagan worships of their neighbors, the Canaanites, and their associated peoples that we studied in the book of Genesis. And so, you know, so much so that Peter, again, Acts chapter 10, God had to give him a vision three times saying you could eat all foods. In fact, Jesus taught him in Mark 7 that you could eat all foods. He was basically doing away with the the dietary regulations of the law and uh, because a new dispensation would be starting the church age. And so we see that uh, he ex finally, after the third uh, uh, occurrence of saying, the Lord saying, you can eat all these foods, these unclean animals, what the Lord has declared clean, do not call unclean. And so Peter was like, got the message. And so when Cornelius uh, was uh, sending for him uh, and uh, he went, and he went to a, a Gentile's home. And that's when the baptism of the Spirit first occurred among the Gentile believers in the church age. So this is very important because it shows you that race has no place in the church far as uh, not having to do with blacks, not having to do with whites and vice versa, or, or Chinese with Japanese or, uh, you know, Pakistanis with Indians. It, there's no place for that in the body of Christ because if you believe in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what race you belong or what your gender, what your male or female, slave or free, you and I are now brothers and sisters in Christ. So the 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 the, the problem of race is destroyed with the gospel. There it is. If only our if the pastors in our country 
only believe that. The Christians in our country would believe that. Instead, they believe that doing social programs is going to solve the problem. You know, the, the Roman, you know, even, even the whole thing with slavery, which we had to fight a war to stop, okay? And uh, we see that uh, the Roman Empire, it was gone. And that was an institutionalized, okay? It was gone within a several, couple centuries. And it was because of the gospel. The slave and slave masters were fellowshipping with each other, being believers in Jesus Christ, and the slave masters of their own volition, because of the gospel, were releasing their slaves. And so that is that was incredible. And yet we had to fight a war in America. You know why we had to do? Because the pastors in the church in the South and the North didn't believe uh, that they could uh, to do away with it. You know, even England was able, with guys like Granville Sharp, great Christian, he, they were able to get rid of slavery from the British Empire and uh, without a war. So very sad. So this destruction, this destruction, here again, this point on the board here, we see that, uh, as we pointed out before, the third and final assertion explains not only the first assertion, but also the second in verse 14, which we pointed out in detail. Thus it explains not only how, or by what means, as we said, Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between Jewish and Gentile Christians, but also how, or by what means, he caused both groups to be one single entity. And as we pointed out a few moments ago, it asserts that Jesus Christ personifies the peace that now exists between Jewish and Gentile Christians and caused both groups to be won by destroying the wall which served as the barrier that is that which caused hostility between the two races. This destruction is twofold, people. First, by the Lord Jesus Christ obeying the law perfectly during his first advent, he fulfilled the law perfectly, which the Father requires in order for someone to enter in a relationship and a fellowship with him. If you don't want to go, if you want to get right with God, like the, many of the Jews did, and like Paul did prior to his justification, by your own, by keeping the law, then you better keep the law perfectly. But no one has ever kept the law perfectly. Only Jesus did. Why? Because he's God and he is a perfect human being. That's why. So what God, so God solved the problem that we couldn't solve. Uh, the, namely, that we couldn't be perfect in our obedience to the law. And so, therefore, he sent his son to do that, who is equal in his, has the same nature as he does. Now, the second, the second, uh, this, this destruction is now, is, is twofold, as I said before. Again, one, by obeying the law perfectly, Jesus Christ, during his first advent, he, nullif he fulfilled the law perfectly, which the Father requires in order to enter into a relationship and a fellowship with him. And number two, the second part of this destruction is that by propitiating, a doctor, we studied this in the, in the past when I was in Massachusetts before I came to uh, Alabama. By propitiating the Father by means of his substitutionary, spiritual and physical deaths on the cross, Jesus suffered the consequences of the members of the human race not fulfilling the law, holy requirements of the law. So all of our sins, he had to suffer the consequences of. The fact that we couldn't keep the law, he had to suffer the consequences for that. So when I say substitutionary, spiritual and physical deaths, spiritual meaning when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was being abandoned by the Father. He offered himself up to the eternal spirit as, it, as evident by the fact that he quoted scripture, Old Testament scripture inspired by the spirit on the cross, Hebrews 9.14. But the Father in him made the transaction. The Father abandoned him those last three hours on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that is a suffering that none of us could ever identify with because none of us is the second member of the Trinity and none of us is a perfect human being. So Jesus and the Father, for the first time ever, were separate, did not have any fellowship with each other. And this is what was torment, this was driving, this was causing Jesus to be terrified in the Garden of Gethsemane. And three times he pleaded with the Father that he wouldn't have to drink that cup and being abandoned. The physical torture was one thing. And the, and the crucifixion and the scourgings, but it was this loss of fellowship with his father, which was by far much more terrifying for him. Much more terrifying. And of course, none of us could other identify that because we're not the, the son of God. He was. So Jesus Christ, people, he perfectly fulfilled the requirements of the Mosaic law during his first advent. He also suffered the wrath of God. He suffered the wrath of God in the place of every human being all of sinful humanity. Why? Because of their failure to keep the law perfectly by suffering again a substitutionary spiritual and physical death on the cross. His physical death brought to completion the Father's will for his life to provide eternal salvation 
to all, for, all, for the benefit of all sinful humanity. And consequently, at the moment of his physical death, the problem of the Mosaic law causing hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles was completely resolved by suffering the wrath of God and the place of all sinful humanity. Both Jew and Gentile, Jesus Christ redeemed the entire human race out of the slave market of sin. He also propitiated the Father and reconciled all the sinful humanity to a holy God. By suffering the wrath of God in the place of all the sinful humanity, our Lord delivered all of sinful humanity from the wrath of God and the eternal lake of fire. He also delivered all of sinful humanity from enslavement to the sin nature, the devil and his cosmic system. He also delivered them from condemnation from the law. He also delivered them from spiritual and physical death as well as the consequences for committing sin. And people, the good news is that this deliverance is appropriate by the unregenerate sinner, both Jew and Gentile, who exercises faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Based upon the, the merits of the object of your faith, the Father declares you justified. And so he, he, we are saved and we're delivered. But we, make, we, we experience this great deliverance that our Lord provided for us. So this deliverance, again, is appropriated by the unregenerate sinner, both Jew and Gentile, who exercises faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And simultaneously, the Father imputes His Son's righteousness to them and declares them justified. And those who study the doctrine of justification, I just taught it not too long ago here at DBC on Wednesday evenings, very important doctrine that's being neglected in the church and the seminaries and to our detriment in the church. If we're not right on justification, we're going to be in trouble. Simultaneously, at our justification, through the baptism of the Spirit, the regenerate sinner, he's regenerate now because they believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and are declared justified by the Father. Simultaneously, through the baptism of the Spirit, at justification, the regenerate sinner is placed in union with Christ and under his headship by the Holy Spirit. Through the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit identified both Jewish and Gentile believers with Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection and session at the right hand of the Father. So therefore, people, we learn that we find here what we saw in our study of Romans 7, 1 through 6. The Mosaic law is no longer an issue between Jewish and Gentile Christians because both died to the law. Let's take a look at that. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 1, please. I'll read from the Net Bible. Romans chapter 7, verse 1, a great book. I did over 500 hours in the book of Romans. Started it in, in, our, in, Mary, uh, in uh, Norway, Iowa, my first church plant. Ended it in my second church plant in Marion, Iowa. Over 500 hours, all on our website, on our Logos Sermons website, and uh, which you can access, access through wenchdom.org or Google it. Or wenchdom.org, we got all the, the video and audio of those classes. In fact, actually, the, I think around the fourth chapter, third chapter of Romans, we started using video. We had video capability. So look at Romans 7.1. Paul says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that would be a Jew, of course, that the law is lord over a person as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of the marriage. So that if she's joined to another man while her husband is alive, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she's joined to another man, she's not an adulteress. So, he's making an inference from this principle from marriage. My brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you could be joined to one another, to the one who, raised, who was raised from the dead, Jesus, to bear fruit to God. So, we see here that we died of the law because we died with Christ. If we died with Christ, then the law has no jurisdiction over us, he's saying. So the law is not an issue with the Jewish and Gentile relationship with each other. Jesus just blew that away at the cross. And then the baptism of the Spirit, uh, we died with Christ. You know, we, that's what Romans 6 is all about. We study the positional truth, uh, sanctification. When uh, at, through the baptism of the Spirit, our justification, the Father identified us with His Son in His crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? That means that He looks at us not according to our sins and transgressions, but as crucified when Christ was crucified, 
died, buried, raised, and seated with him when Christ was died, buried, raised, and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's how he views you. Why? Because God put the human race under two people. The first Adam, place of cursing, and the last Adam, Jesus Christ, the place of blessing. Romans 5, 12, to the end of that chapter, talks about this. And also Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, he makes the distinction between the first and last Adam. So we're under the place of blessing, under the place of uh, the headship of Christ. That's why we're called the members of his body. And he is the head, we're the members of the body. He's the bridegroom, we're the bride. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that. So that's very important. So therefore, our problems with sin, Satan and his cosmic system, racial problems are all blown away at our justification through faith in Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Spirit. Then Paul says, again, in verse 4, he says, So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you could be joined to another, to the one who was raised from the dead to bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful desires aroused by the law were active in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we've been released from the law. Why? Because we've died in our identification with Christ in his death, we have died to what controlled us, the sin nature, so that we may serve in the new life of the Spirit and not under the old written code. Now go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, and we'll close. So, we see that they're no longer under the jurisdiction of the law, Jewish and Gentile Christians, because of Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilling the requirements of the law and suffering the consequences for both groups failing to keep the law perfectly. Remember, Paul says, the Gentiles might not have the written code like uh, uh, that we, uh, the Mosaic law, like uh, the Jews do, because only the Jews received that at at uh, at uh, Mount Sinai, according to the Book of Exodus, and also according to Romans nine, uh, four and five. But uh, we see that Gentile Christians, according to Ephesians, uh, Romans two fourteen and fifteen, we study, they have uh, basically the Ten Commandments written in the, their souls so that they, they know it's wrong, idolatry is wrong. They know murder is wrong. They know you, so, the, the, so there's certain things in the law that are inherent in the souls of each human being. And so they, and Paul talks about them doing the things of the law, even though they don't have it in a written form, they do it by, they, they, when they do that, they're actually keeping the law. They don't realize that they're doing things in the law. So, correspondingly, people, the Mosaic law is not is no longer an issue between Jewish and Gentile Christians because both died to the law through their identification with Christ and his death. Read Romans chapter 6. Uh, in fact, uh, you can go uh, look at Romans chapter 6. I'll go quickly over there. If you look at Romans chapter 6, look at verse 1. Paul says, what should we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? What do you mean we died to sin? How so? Or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus, identified with him? That's what baptizo means. It's not literal dip in water. It's, it's identification with Christ. You were baptized into his death. He's saying you should know this. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that says Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too may live a new life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, and we have, we will certainly also be united in the likeness of his resurrection, guarantee of a resurrection body. We know that our old man, the old dynamic sin nature, was crucified with him so that the body of sin, see our bodies have the sin nature in us, contrary to many scholars and, and Bible teachers, they just don't get that. Why do you think there was a curse put on the body of man? Back to the dust of the ground you should go, why do you think we go die? Why do you think we age? Why do you think my hair has fallen out? <laughs> and I can't see with a, a hoot and a holler. Okay, so it's because we're sinners. We're dying. We're going to need a resurrection body. Where is that? It's in the sin in our genetic structure of our physical bodies. The body craves certain things: sex, uh, food. You know, it craves. It's that's why we're sin, uh, selfish and self-centered by nature and practice. Okay, it's in our, because of these bodies, and Jesus didn't have a sinful nature because Mary uh, was not impregnated by uh, Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit. You and I. Uh, our parents passed down the sin nature. So he says in verse 6, we know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for someone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he's never going to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Now look, he says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, unlimited atonement. He didn't just die for the elect, he died for everyone. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. Now look what he says. Here's the application. So you too, consider yourselves. This is an act of faith here to do this. Dead to the sin nature, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because you died with Christ and you're raised with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its lust. And do not present your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments for, to be used for righteousness. For sin will have no mastery over you because you are not under law but under grace. So if you're trying to get rid of porn addiction or you're a, you're a compulsive liar, gambler, have alcohol addiction problems, drug problems, I don't even like to use the word addiction. It's called sin, the Bible calls it. You, you, can, you can conquer these things. It's already, you already have the victory if you're a believer. You die with Christ, raised with Christ. So the next time you come uh, the bottle and you have a temptation with that, consider yourself dead to sin nature and alive to God. Why? Because you died with Christ and you're raised with Christ. You have the victory. You and I do. Now, do we do this? Are we going to do this all the time? It takes, it takes practice. We're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So it's not going to come to us just like that. Some things, yeah, but some things are deep-rooted in us that we like to do. And uh, we, that's why they call them addictions. So like alcohol abuse or drug abuse or porn addictions people talk about. So that's very important that we approach, you know, a lot of churches are not teaching this. This is how Paul taught the church to deal with the temptation to sin. There it is, you know. So if they don't teach this, what are they teaching? You know, what are they going to try? They're probably going into some kind of psychology, you know, humanistic philosophy that's rubbed in and they call it uh, part of Bible teaching when it's not. So you can be careful out there. So go back to Ephesians 2.14 and we'll wrap this up. So we see that both Jews and Gentiles, both Jew and Gentile Christians, are no longer under the jurisdiction of the law. Why? Because of their union and identification with Jesus Christ and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the right hand of the Father. And this union and identification, united Jewish and Gentile believers, the implication, if you're black and you're white, you believe in Jesus Christ, guess what? There's no race problems between you two. If you're Pakistani or Indian, or whatever you are, you're an Auburn or Alabama fan, you believe in Jesus Christ, guess what? No problems anymore. We're both on equal footing with each other. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. If you're Yankee and Red Sox fans and you believe in Jesus Christ, guess what? The animosity, the, the war between the Yankees and the Red Sox is gone. Okay? The, the, there you go. Okay? <laughs> do you get the point? Yes, I hope you do. Now, to wrap this study up, I just want to address a certain interpretive issue with regards to uh, the expression that I pointed out earlier in the class, tain ekthron en te saki autu which is translated, that which caused hostility between the two races with each other and the two races with God. Now, I believe this prepositional phrase, which is translated by myself by means of his human nature, uh, belongs with verse 15 and is thus modifying the verb in participle conjugation, which is translated by myself, in other words, by nullifying. So, if you see the Net Bible, see this phrase, in his flesh in verse 15, See, they interpret this phrase in his flesh as going, modifying kardageo, which they translate when he nullified. That's how I view it. But some, uh, some translations, they think that, not interpreters think this phrase in, in his flesh goes with verse 14. So let me see if I can get a translation out here uh, that would, uh, would, would, uh, would get, uh, bring out the idea of this and see if, they have, if some of these people have this. Yeah, look at the Lexham Bible. Interesting. The Lexham Bible goes, for he himself is our peace, who made both one and broke down the dividing wall of the petition. Then they say the entity in his flesh. See how they put it with verse the thought in verse 14? And except, and then they say, invalidating the law of commandments and ordinances in order that he might create the two in himself into one new man, thus making peace. So I don't agree, and many others don't agree, with that kind of inter inter interpretation and translation. In his flesh, you go with verse 15. And I just gave you my reason why. Uh, I believe it's uh, the reason why it's modifying kardageo. And this view expresses the idea that Jesus Christ destroyed the wall, which was the hostility by means of making the law inoperative. In his flesh is humanity. Now, why do I believe this and not what the Lexham Bible believes? Because it's consistent with Paul's writings and other places in which he states, as we just pointed out in Romans 7, that the believer is not under the law, but died to the law because of his just identification with Christ 
in his death and that Christ fulfilled the law. So remember that in Romans 7. He says, in verse 4, Romans 7, 4, So my brothers and sisters, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. That's what Paul's trying to say in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Okay, verse 15. So he nullified the law. So if you look at Ephesians 2, uh, 14, in the Net Bible, for he is our peace, the one who made both groups into one, and who destroyed the middle wall of partition, the hostility, when he nullified in his flesh, okay, the law of commandments and decrees. He did this to create himself, one new man, new humanity, out of the two, thus making peace, and to reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by which the hostility has been killed. So which is quite interesting, is that not only did Jesus Christ and the baptism of the Spirit uh, unite Jewish and Gentile believers and reconcile them with each other, but also Jesus reconciled them with a holy God. <laughs> there it is, a two-fold reconciliation we have in the chapter. Well, we've run out of it. It's been good, good to get back on the, on the horse here, get back at it. been a while since I've been t- taught here at Winston Bible Ministries. So thank you for joining us. So I uh, just uh, pray that this, uh, this lesson will be a blessing to you. And so let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining with me today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray this lesson be a great blessing to you people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.